0: The views expressed in the following episode are those of the subjects interviewed or individual presenters from the case. They do not necessarily reflect the views of Reach Freaks LLC, the Invisible Choir podcast, or cast media.
1: Retreats. Invisible Choir explores detailed depictions of violence and murder and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. There was a struggle ensuing. The the woman was trying to pull away, screaming for help. The man had to hold hold her arm with one hand and had a knife in the other hand.
0: Growing up, we're taught to respect our elders. It's a concept that's been indoctrinated to most of us from a very young age, part of learning to have manners. Of course, as kids, we don't know any better, so we listen, but really it's just a matter of basic common decency and courtesy. Respecting all people, or at least trying to, is an idea most people can get behind. But as we get older ourselves, we tend to see things a bit differently in general we tend to gain a more realistic view on how the world works around us. We eventually become less naive and learn from examples that not all people are in fact decent or kind. So if that is the case, why is it that in our now matured state of consciousness, we commonly perceive elderly people specifically as being by default safe, trustworthy, or non-violent? Almost always we view these older individuals in a positive light. But why? I mean, sincerely, think about that for a second. When was the last time you saw a senior citizen in the grocery store and thought to yourself, that's a real bad person right there? Chances are you never have, and hopefully you never will. But for some reason, most of us have fallen victim to a social construct That implies all elderly people by default of their age should be in some way revered. Now, it may sound cruel, but the truth is that some should absolutely not be. You see, criminals age just like you and I will. It's inevitable. 76-year-old Albert Flick just so happened to be the worst brand of this type of malefactor. No one thought he was such a bad guy either, based on his appearance anyway. Sure enough, it would be his actions rather than his looks that would inevitably indicate why not all old people are worth respecting. On the East Coast back in the 1970s, Albert Flick was living in Westbrook, just seven miles from the buzzing tourist destination of Portland, Maine. He had served in Vietnam and as an Army veteran had been working in the same donut shop in town for some 19 years. Albert was married to a woman named Sandra. However, their relationship had been tumultuous from the very beginning and inevitably escalated to physical violence and abuse in the home. In 1979, Sandra Flick decided she'd had enough of this mistreatment. She wanted a divorce. Elbert was served with the papers, but things had become so volatile that police actually had to escort him from the residence. After years of abuse, Sandra was finally ridding herself of this toxic relationship and this toxic man. She was looking forward to starting over alongside her daughter from her first marriage. Then-35-year-old Albert Flick, however, had different plans. He'd made up his mind that he wasn't going to allow Sandra to walk away so easily. Three weeks after his estranged wife served Albert with legal divorce documents, she reached to back out to him. She needed him to come over and collect the rest of his belongings from her apartment. But little did she know, inviting this man back into the very home they'd spent many years in together, would be the worst decision Sandra had ever made. On January 31, 1979, Albert arrived at the home per her request. The two then began arguing while Sandra's 12-year-old daughter hid in one of the back bedrooms. While peering through the partially cracked door, trying to remain unseen, the girl watched Albert bend her mother's arm backward. She also heard Albert say something to the effect of, I love you. I don't want to hurt you. Sandra screamed, causing her daughter to run downstairs to notify a neighbor. That neighbor then came running inside the Flick home himself to see what was going on. By the time he got there, Albert was already on his way out the front door, walking past the man covered in blood. After entering the home, the neighbor quickly discovered Sandra bleeding out there on the living room floor. She gasped for air just long enough to relay that it was her ex-husband, Albert, who was responsible. In fact, those were Sandra's very last words. By the time police arrived, she had died from loss of blood, and authorities would eventually locate the three and inch jackknife blade near Sandra's body. She had been stabbed a total of 14 times. Albert Flick was now a murderer at the age of 36. During his eventual trial, Albert's family members took to the stand in his defense, claiming that while he was a good man, he was merely a product of his environment and that he came from a long history of family violence. In the end, Flick was sentenced to 30 years in prison for murdering his ex-wife, Sandra. Now, you might be saying to yourself, 30 years for murdering his wife? That's it? Well, we thought the same thing until we found out how much time Albert would actually spend in prison for this homicide. Somehow, Albert Flick got out early on good behavior after serving just 21 years. This man was cut a nine-year break on an already lenient 30-year sentence for murder. He was then released back into society in the year 2000 at the age of 57. It's amazing to think that an individual like this was simply permitted to walk amongst the general public after what he had done. Needless to say, Albert Flick wasn't the type of guy you'd want moving in next door in your apartment complex. Regardless, for some reason, this convicted murderer was given a second chance. But Albert had no intentions of changing his ways, the same way he had no intentions of allowing Sandra to walk out on him back in 1979. His reign of violence toward women picked up almost exclusively and exactly where it left off upon his release from prison. He continued to rack up a lengthy criminal resume, a rap sheet that included charges of assault, criminal threats, and violating probation as a result. Flick eventually ended up moving to Portland, Maine, and in 2007, he was arrested for domestic assault again. He had beaten up his girlfriend by punching her and stabbing her with a fork. Luckily, this woman would end up surviving her injuries and not meeting the same fate as Albert's previous wife. Flick was locked up for this incident but would be back out in no time flat, which seemed to be a continuous trend in Albert Flick's life. An existence in and out of prison was something he'd eventually gotten used to. By all means, Albert Flick had a reason to feel comfortable in the respect of getting away with these crimes, time and time again, because the justice system would repeatedly let this man walk free for abusing women. A few years later, Albert Flick decided to attack yet another girlfriend, only this time it came dangerously close to becoming a repeat of the earlier 1979 murder. In 2010, a disagreement ensued between Flick and his new girlfriend, and before she knew it, the woman who had the unfortunate drawback of having Albert Flick come into her life was suddenly drifting in and out of consciousness. Albert had her in a chokehold, and he wasn't letting go. He began pummeling her in the face with the butt end of his knife while keeping one arm tightly wrapped around her neck. She eventually escaped his grasp, and, while desperately staggering through their home, tried to make a getaway to the street. 67-year-old Albert Flick then picked up a screwdriver and chased the woman. Thankfully, she was able to escape and managed to notify the police. Albert must have sensed his luck had run out by now as he proceeded to the fire escape of the building. At that point, he decided he was going to end his own life by hanging himself there off the railing. Perhaps he assumed that after all of his stints in prison, this event would be the one that sent him away for good. He wouldn't have the luxury of taking the easy way out by leaping to his death, however. Instead, law enforcement was able to reach him before he was able to follow through with it. And Albert Flick was then arrested and charged yet again with domestic assault. By this point, Albert Flick was nearly 70 years old, and here he sat in court yet again for his prolific and violent abuse of women. He eventually pleaded guilty, thus avoiding a jury trial. At his eventual sentencing hearing, Flick sat slouched next to his attorney with a despondent look that fell over his drooping and wrinkled cheeks. He now had patches of thin white hair resting above each ear, partitioned from a bald scalp. His appearance fit the mold of the archetypical nice old grandfather. And as we already know, looks can be deceiving. And Albert Flick was the truest example of that old saying. The obvious foundation of the state's primary argument was that Albert Flick was your prototypical recidivist offender. He had arguably had more chances than any criminal should ever be granted to reconcile his previous behavior never mind the chances allotted to a convicted murderer. Flick had shown that he was not going to be rehabilitated. But how many times would the courts allow Albert Flick to come within inches of killing another woman? One homicide and several domestic violence charges involving chokeholds, knives, and screwdrivers later, and any reasonable person would be hard-pressed not to beg the question, at what point does it end? It seemed clear that this was the end of the road for Albert Flick. It seemed there was simply no chance he wouldn't be put behind bars for the rest of his life, considering how many other times he'd re it. Yet the defense would continue to harp on Albert's age, stating that he was incapable of harming any more people in the future due to his now brittle and weak condition. The prosecution adamantly expressed otherwise.
2: I know that the defendant is an older man and that the court is deciding. They think that this individual is going to stop committing crimes, especially crimes against women and violent crimes against women with weapons. But history has really shown that he's just not about to do that. And so I think the only appropriate sentence is for significant time in prison.
0: His probation officer at the time also took the stand to express his opinion that despite his old age, Albert Flick was still a very dangerous man.
2: To me, your honor, there's no better predictor for future behavior than past behavior. He's an extremely violent individual when it comes to relationships. He doesn't appear to have slowed down at this point, and I don't see him slowing down in the near future.
0: After hearing both sides, it would be up to the judge to decide this matter in the end. His ruling was yet another outcome that favored Albert Flick, and Albert Flick alone. There's absolutely nothing in Mr. Flick's past history that suggests he is going to choose to abandon his behaviors of assaultive conduct toward women. However, from his appearance and the fact that of the date of his birth, he will be 72 or 73 when he is released from the probation revocation, and at some point Mr. Flick is going to age out of his capacity to engage in this conduct and incarcerating him beyond the time that he ages out doesn't seem to me to make good sense from a criminological or fiscal perspective. Judge Robert Crowley candidly admits that he does believe Flick will continue on a path of violence against women, yet in the same breath states his opinion that Flick will, quote, age out and eventually no longer be able to engage in such violence due to his physical limitations as an aging elderly man. Sounds like a pretty big risk, but with that, Albert Flick was given another opportunity. He was not sentenced to a lengthy prison term, as many expected, but instead only given four years behind bars. The judge in this case, Robert Crowley, would retire soon after imposing Flick's sentence that same year. Perhaps he was simply on his way out the door already and decided to show mercy on this elderly man. Call it one more final act of kindness before stepping down from the bench for good. Judge Robert E. Crowley didn't know it yet, but this would be the defining moment and decision of his career, for better or for worse, and Albert Flick would soon become the stain on his otherwise impressive legacy that could never be removed. When Flick got out of prison in 2014, he was now in his early 70s. Even so, it didn't take long for him to revert to his old ways. It was suddenly proven that neither his age nor his recent tenure in prison had slowed him down one bit, just as his probation officer had previously suggested it would not. This time, Albert Flick ran into his ex-girlfriend on the street, the very same woman he had assaulted back in 2010. Albert Flick threatened her by saying something to the effect of, You'll get yours. Proclaiming his intended revenge toward his past victim, blaming her for his most recent time behind bars. Ironically, this threat would send Albert right back to where he came from, his home away from home, the state penitentiary. Albert Flick wasn't even a free man for a full year before he violated his probation again as a result of this incident. He was subsequently arrested and sent right back to prison where he would remain until 2016. When he got out just two years later, Albert Flick then moved to Lewiston, Maine. He lived in a low income housing unit and was said to be surviving off of either social security or disability. He'd spend his days walking around town or sitting out in front of the local Walmart or visiting the Lewiston Public Library. Albert was new in town, and no one knew anything about him or his past. He conveniently flew under the radar, giving off the appearance of the harmless, lonely old man in the neighborhood. But if we've come to know anything about Albert Flick's past in general by now, it's that history repeats itself. And it wouldn't be long before the people of Lewiston found out who this apparently harmless old man actually was. A couple of years after Albert Flick settled into Lewiston, another woman arrived in town, and she was looking for a fresh start herself. Kimberly Doby was a single mom in her late 40s with two 11-year-old twin boys. She'd had a rough life and had been in and out of homeless shelters since the boys were young. Originally from Massachusetts, Kim didn't get along with her mother back home. So when she fell on hard times, she was left with no other option than to seek out homeless shelters. She had bounced around from Massachusetts to Farmington, Maine, and had most recently landed at Hope Haven at 209 Lincoln Street in Lewiston. Soon after moving into her temporary home with the children, she met a friend by the name of Laura Kirkland, who happened to live on the same floor.
3: She was an amazing mom, and she was very protective of her kids. I remember, you know, it would really hot on the fifth floor during the summer. There was no air conditioner up there and no fans. I'd tell her that, you know, you can leave the door open and let the air blow through. She she's, I'm not going to leave the doors open and let somebody come in and, and hurt my children. She was very, very protective
0: of them. Kim didn't seem to let her personal troubles in life get in the way of her responsibility as a mother. She loved her boys more than anything in the world and was determined to get out of Hope Haven and into her own apartment as soon as possible. And by all accounts, Kim was proactive in taking steps to make that goal a reality. She desperately wanted a better life for her family. Not to mention, the homeless shelter was quickly becoming an environment Kim realized She would need to escape from sooner than later. She made a lot of friends and had mostly positive experiences there, but Kim also faced her fair share of issues in the shelter as well. Personal belongings would sometimes mysteriously disappear from her room and things of that nature. Becoming increasingly anxious with thoughts of how and when she could eventually leave the shelter, Kim tried to spend as much time away from Hope Haven as she could. She would take the boys to the park, coffee shops, and to nearby Trinity Church, where they offered a free lunch daily to those in need. It was here where Kim would eventually meet a man by the name of James Lips.
1: I go over to Trinity pretty much every day for lunch, and uh, she was there. And I just happened to say, hi, how you doing? My,
0: my name is Jim, and uh, we just hit it off. Jimmy was smitten with Kimberly. But the two seemed to have differing ideas as to what this new friendship actually represented. I had lunch with her over at Trinity one day, and
1: the kids were not there. I said, gee, where's the kids? Oh, they're in school. So it was like they were still in school. I said, well, if you don't mind, I'd like to show you where I live. And she was impressed because I have a clean house. You know, most guys don't have a clean house. And uh, she said, wow, I like this. And we just started talking and I said, "Tim, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? She says, I'm 48. I said, well, I'm over 58. There's only 10 years difference in our age. Would you consider dating? She said, well, sure, I would love to. And that's why I said she was my girlfriend, you
0: know. By all accounts, James Lips, unfortunately, seemed to be the only one who thought that Kim was his girlfriend. The two were never actually dating despite his confusion. And he seemed to be getting mixed signals from Kim, as she did start spending a lot more time at his apartment with her boys in tow. Laura recalls Kim going over to James's place mainly to cook meals for her children, as the soup kitchen sometimes had limited options.
3: I think it was just two or three times a week at the most. It was occasional, it was random. I think it was when she just really wanted to give the kids some normal She was all about healthy food. She was very healthy. She was just trying to do that. And I think that I'm pretty sure that he was saying, as do a lot of people, I'll help you out. I don't mind, you know, but they they want something else.
0: Kim was not interested in James romantically, but he was nice enough and soon became a trusted resource. Assuring her kids had nutritious home-cooked meals, was part of Kim's survival plan in Lewiston, and James Lips helped to facilitate that. Meanwhile, as all of this was going on, Albert Flick was just across town sitting at the library like he would every day for hours, doing puzzles. They used to call him the puzzle guy, and he used to be there from uh, open to closed, putting together puzzles. Laura also frequented the library, She would see Flick on a regular basis, putting puzzles together by his lonesome. One day, while pondering over his latest jigsaw challenge, in walked a woman who immediately caught Albert's attention. That woman was Kimberly Doby.
3: He said he was blown away by her her beauty and her energy.
0: Albert Flick became infatuated with Kimberly Doby the minute he laid eyes on her. She had been bringing her boys to the library as it was a positive atmosphere for children and never expected to run into someone with such a dark and checkered past. They really have a great program for kids. They did stuff
3: upstairs and, you know, they had like recipes and animals and different things at different classes and stuff for the kids. And it was just a pleasant place to be.
0: Sure enough, Albert Flick would eventually introduce himself to Kim shortly thereafter, approaching her while she was reading her book. The old man swooned over Kim, a woman that happened to be roughly 30 years younger than him. Before long, Albert conveniently began showing up at virtually all of the same places that Kim and the boys happened to be. If they were eating lunch at the church, Flick would be eating lunch at that very same church, and if Kim and her sons were at the laundromat, it was laundry day for Albert as well. He essentially followed the trio around like a lost puppy dog. His behavior was innocent enough in the beginning, and Kim paid him very little mind. She didn't have the heart to push away this lonely old man, who seemed innocently enough to just want some company. Albert would buy them lunch.
3: I know that he helped her with laundry and stuff, but he knew everywhere she went. And he was trying to move in with
0: her. Kim's friend, Laura, remembers this as the time things began to take a strange turn. Albert's friendly behavior was quickly becoming creepy and borderline obsessive. He was convinced
3: going to be together, even though she was telling him by that time that she didn't want a relationship,
1: but he was still convinced, you know, he was sure they were going to be together, and he was sure that he
3: was going to move in, and he was going to pay for a truck and all the moving stuff, and it was starting to become more and more concerning about him being around.
0: While Laura was becoming more and more worried for her friend's well-being, Kim assured her that everything was fine. After all, as far as anyone knew, Albert was just a harmless old man. Kim felt bad for him. While Flick had been concocting some fantasy life together with Kim in his mind, she'd still been visiting with James Lips to cook dinners for the children. It wouldn't be long before the two worlds of these men who were helplessly fighting for Kim's affection would inevitably collide. Jimmy Lips recalls the day he had finally had enough of old Albert and decided he was going to give him a piece of his mind.
1: I had an incident with Albert Flick myself. I was outside my building waiting for her and the kids to come to my house. I was outside with my other neighbors, and Albert Flick was right behind them, following them. And I didn't even know this guy. I only met him once. And I said, Albert, they don't even want you around. Why don't you leave them alone because she's my girlfriend. And I don't like a guy like you hanging around my girlfriend. He said, well, too bad. She's my girlfriend. And I said, well, no, no, she's gone.
0: Kim was beginning to realize that Laura may have been right all along. The situation between both Albert and James was getting out of control. Apparently, both of these men believed they were dating Kim when in reality, neither one of them were. During this particular incident, James Lips felt the need to protect Kim from Albert.
1: She doesn't like you. She's told me she don't like you. You harass her. You bugging her. Leave her the fuck alone. She's forty eight years old. You're way older than her. She doesn't want you. You're too old for her. Leave her the fucking kids alone. Or else it was gonna be a fucking problem. She didn't like the She just didn't know how to the fucking buzz off, you know.
0: Kim knew then and there that she needed to distance herself from both of these men. James wasn't a bad guy, but Kim began feeling guilty that she was giving him the wrong idea.
3: I think she was gonna stop doing that because he kept calling her his girlfriend to everybody she was afraid it was leading him on which it was because you know he was that kind you know he was, and he's a desperately lonely guy seemed to
0: be anyway while James Lips was certainly the more understanding of the two Albert wasn't going anywhere he wouldn't take no for an answer and would not leave Kim and the boys alone he was returning to old patterns of which Kim was never made aware and things would only get worse from here mm. By the summer of 2018, Kimberly Doby was fed up with Albert Flick constantly following her around. And if there was one thing you do not mess with, it was Kim's children. Albert Flick, however, decided to cross that line. And Kim told her good friend Laura all about that incident.
3: He wouldn't leave them alone, and he was telling her that if the kids weren't around, they could be together. That started happening later on. He called one of the kids a name. She jumped on him for that. Yeah, he he yelled at them or something. Kim said, don't you ever talk to my kids like that. That's around the time she started saying, you know, you got to get away. You got to stay away from us. She was going to call the police if he didn't back off. She said, do not come here. This is also towards the end.
0: Kim never did call the police. She did her best to stay away from Flick and carry on with her day to day. She'd been through a lot in her life and in her mind. She could handle one 76-year-old man that was falling uncomfortably in love with her. In Kim's eyes, she had the Albert situation under control. By now, everyone knew this guy was strange, but no one thought he was capable of what he would end up doing next. July 13th, 2018. Albert Flick is seen on surveillance cameras entering his local Walmart in Lewiston, Maine. He is then recorded on camera at the checkouts, purchasing two pink-handled paring knives for the cost of $2.24 each. In the following days, Flick continued following Kim and her children around Lewiston. He would get up early knowing that Kim would be at the 7 a.m. breakfast with the boys over at the Trinity Church. Wherever she went, Albert was there, now more than ever before. Kim tried to pay him no mind, carrying on as if he didn't exist, but Albert Flick would soon make his presence known and ensure that Kimberly Doby would never have the opportunity to ignore him ever again. July 15, 2018 Kimberly and the twins were at the laundromat on Sabata Street in Lewiston, Maine. The two brothers were laughing and playing while their mother loaded the washer and put quarters into the machine. Kim then stepped outside briefly to take a phone call on her cell. She is seen on surveillance cameras exiting left out the laundromat and onto the sidewalk. She sits down on a small set of concrete steps next to the door to take the call. Just then, another person comes into the camera's frame. An elderly man wearing a blue shirt, walking slowly and intentionally in the same direction Kim Doby had just gone. The man's right hand is seen pressed to the back of his leg, as if he were trying to conceal something. Meanwhile, inside of the busy laundromat, patrons fold and transfer laundry from washers to dryers like any other Sunday morning. Just then, a woman's frantic scream is heard coming from just outside of the building, As the cries for help heighten, various people from inside of the laundromat run outside to see what's going on.
1: That's when I came back out the door and uh, I looked this way. She was sitting there and there was a guy standing over her, stabbing her.
0: Albert Flick was on top of Kimberly Doby, thrusting a five-inch Walmart knife into her body. She was blindsided while sitting on the steps and Flick managed to stab Kim 11 times before anyone else got to him. One man ran up and kicked Albert off of Kim as hard as he could, and Albert's rickety old body flew and hit the curb. The knife landed nearby. The man who kicked him then pinned Albert down with his knee as he shouted for someone to call 911. By now, everyone was trying to get a glimpse of the commotion happening there on the street, including Kim's two boys. They ran over only to find their mother gasping for air barely clinging to life. They saw her just moments after she'd been stabbed and asked witnesses if their mother was going to die. A teacher who was walking into morning mass at the church across the street then noticed the twins. She ran over to them and steered them away from the violent crime scene. Police and EMS arrived to the scene within a matter of minutes and Kim was rushed to a nearby hospital in critical condition. When Flick was finally placed into handcuffs, police confiscated the second Walmart knife found in his pocket. He was taken into custody and was to be charged with attempted murder. But before being thrown into a holding cell, he'd first sit in an ambulance. The elderly man was brought to the hospital to receive medical attention himself after viciously stabbing Kimberly Doby 11 times before 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning. After the attack, Albert Flick had the audacity to complain of chest pains. And it wouldn't be long before investigators were there at his bedside looking to speak with him.
2: Sir, how are you doing? How are you? My name is Jennifer King. My name is Jennifer King. This is Desiree Weathernow. We're both with the Maine State Police. So we came, because we wanted to see if you were able to talk with us a little bit about what happened this morning. I know that they brought you in here to the ER because you weren't feeling very good. How are you feeling right now?
1: Not good.
2: And what's bothering you? My chest. Your chest? Okay. Did you have a weapon on you this morning?
1: Yeah, know. Yeah.
2: What kind of weapon was it?
1: I had a knife.
2: Do you usually carry that knife? Yeah. Is it a normal thing for you to carry that knife?
1: Uh, yeah. Do you,
2: do you carry a knife every day?
1: Not every day. Sometimes I did.
2: Okay. If the witnesses told us that you stabbed Kim, would that be correct? Well, illegal. well, Kim is here at the hospital.
0: Apparently, Albert Flick's heartbeat was irregular, as shown from the EKG. So, legally, they had to treat him. But by no means did this absolve him from questioning. So, they continued on.
1: I don't want to talk about nothing until I find out how she is.
2: Kim has passed away.
1: No. She'll be walking around.
2: They did everything they could to help her, but it wasn't enough. Hmm? They did everything they could to help her, but it wasn't enough. She'll be around. She's dead.
0: As Kim was arriving at the hospital, her pulse was suddenly lost in the ambulance. Kimberly Doby passed away just before 11 a.m. that day. She was 48 years old. She had suffered far too many stab wounds. The blade punctured the left ventricle of her heart, and she suffered a fractured rib which pierced her right lung, causing extensive internal bleeding. Albert Flick had killed Kim Doby in the exact same manner he killed his ex-wife Sandra some 39 years before. He was now laying in a hospital bed with heart monitors on his chest while detectives desperately tried to get answers.
2: And the witnesses said that you did that.
1: Well, I guess I did.
2: Why did you do that? I
1: don't remember doing it, though.
2: Why did you do it? Tell me what you were thinking. What was going through your head when that happened?
1: She, I remember, she had a knife in her hand.
2: Is that what the witnesses are going to tell us? I took it, Paula. I'd like you to work on remembering more. Okay? All right. Thank you for talking with me. I appreciate it. I'll come back in a couple of hours. I hope that you're feeling better soon, Albert. Back. Pardon me?
1: Shell
2: should be pebble. Should All right, I'll talk to you later. Thank you, Albert.
0: Flick mutters that Kim was the one with the knife, and explains that he had actually taken it from her. He then goes on to say, "She'll be back. She'll get better." He sure does play the part of the forgetful old man well, but Albert knew exactly what he had done. By then, he was a conditioned liar. And this surely wasn't the first time he had used his old age to his advantage. But law enforcement wasn't buying his act for a second. They left him for the time being, but would return to ask more questions later that evening. Meanwhile, back at the scene of the crime, authorities were in the middle of collecting as much information and evidence as possible the very afternoon of the murder. They interviewed witnesses who were still in front of the laundromat, including Dennis Fisher, the man who was doing laundry at the time and ended up being the one to physically confront and remove Flick off of Kimberly. Here, he gives law enforcement his firsthand account of what had happened. I was
1: approximately here and I ran and I drop kicked him off. Boom, he went down here. Knife went flying, it went over there. I jumped on his back and I just flopped him over and told him, "Don't, don't move. And I hollered for the people to call 911. And she just flopped back, her head bounced off the step, and she gave like a death crawl, like she wasn't gonna make it. And and that's when the kids come running out from the the laundromat, and I told them to go back into the laundromat. And uh, a couple couple minutes later, police officers showed up in that, and and they jumped on him and arrested him.
0: Later that evening at Central Maine Medical Center in Lewiston, detectives were back to interview Albert once again. However, he had suddenly had a change of heart. He decided he now no longer wished to speak with law enforcement. Perhaps his memory was serving him better by then, realizing that remaining silent would in fact be in his best interest. Flick immediately requested an attorney, and the conversation was forced to come to a close. After a couple of days in the hospital, he was finally medically cleared for the jail cell that awaited him. But when a different detective showed up to officially make the arrest, Albert was much more talkative this time around.
2: Hey, Albert, how do you feel? How are you doing? You ready to go? Well, yeah. Yeah. You going to go with me?
1: There's one murder you
2: gotta solve something. One...
1: 1971. If you think about it in her gunquit.
2: In the gunquit? Would well, you have something to do with that? Huh? You have something to do with that? I, had, I could never tell on it before because he threatened to kill of my kids and so. It's the one that what? He, he threatened to bother all my kids and so. He threatened to bother all your kids? Yeah. Oh yeah, who's that? They had him, they had the
1: car, they had him. And the night before we burned the place down without everything in it.
0: If you couldn't make out what Albert said, he just told the detective that there's another murder he needs to look into. A murder that happened back in the 1970s. The detective seems to brush Albert's comments off as ramblings here, but Flick may have just passively confessed his alleged involvement, or at least knowledge of a totally separate murder investigation. Albert mentions the year 1971, and after a quick series of online searches, there's only one unsolved homicide in the town he mentions Ogunquit, Maine, and that was in 1970 nearly 50 years before when a 13-year-old girl named Mary Olinchuk was abducted. Her body was eventually found inside a local barn almost one month later. The killer has never been caught. Her case has long been touted as Maine's oldest cold case. It's unclear if Flick actually knows something about Mary Olinchuk's murder or if he's simply grasping at straws here, looking for creative ways to make a deal with police before they haul him away to jail. As a side note, this is something we'll be looking into, but that's another case entirely for another day.
2: So we're going to be taking you into our custody. You're under arrest. You're under arrest, yeah. right, for murder. So we're going to take you to the Anders County, County Jail. I'm going to put you in handcuffs. I'm going to take you downstairs, out to my car, yeah. and uh, we'll book you for, for the murder of Kimberly Doobie. Okay? You ready? Yep. All right, why do you stand up? Need your hands
0: behind your back for me. Thankfully, as it stood in regards to the murder of Kimberly Doby, there would be no deals on the table for this now repeat offender, and there would be no more chances for Albert Flick. That after how long and at what cost? Laura Kirkland, Kim's good friend from the Hope Haven Homeless Shelter, was devastated after learning what had happened to the woman she was so close with. Laura struggled even more so after hearing that Albert Flick had plans to plead not criminally responsible by reason of insanity.
3: From what I understand, the first steps or the fatal one. He knew exactly what he was doing and got her on the steps and, you know, because she could have fought him, she could have kicked his ass, but she was on the steps. He doesn't qualify for the insanity, that piece of shit. He doesn't. It's too bad that he doesn't have the courtesy to drop dead.
0: Flick was going to move forward with an insanity defense originally, but just before the trial was slated to begin almost a year after Kimberly's death, he suddenly changed his plea to not guilty. Flick was now 77 years old, and when the jury was presented with the evidence, they were able to view the laundromat surveillance video. The entire incident was caught on tape, They were able to see with their own eyes Albert Flick's brutal attack as he killed Kimberly there in broad daylight, the morning of July 15th, 2018. It only took 40 minutes of deliberation for the jury to come back with their unanimous decision. Albert Flick was found guilty of first-degree murder, and at a later hearing, he was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole, at last, once and for all. Outside of the courthouse, the assistant attorney general spoke to the media. While there was nothing to celebrate, he was grateful that the outcome in this case was in favor of the prosecution and Kimberly Doby's family.
3: Mr. Flick uh, murdered his estranged first wife in a similar fashion, stabbing her 14 times in 1979. Uh, he murdered Kimberly Doby, stabbing her 11 times at a minimum now. Uh, so I think obsession and infatuation are clearly what was in his twisted mind. What happened to these children is just horrific. I know that there are, uh, there's family involvement, there's services. We're certainly hoping for the best.
0: Custody of the boys was handed over to their grandmother. Kim's mother did not attend the sentencing, and Kim's brother reportedly relocated from another state back to Massachusetts ...in order to help raise the boys as a family. We can only hope the twins are able to overcome what they saw that day... ...and that time will help heal their trauma. The main takeaway in this heartbreaking case... ...is the obvious grand failures, plural, of the justice system. Decades of documented violent behaviors were ignored and conveniently excused... ...time and time again... ...demonstrated by a man who proved to not only be dangerous but life-threatening. Flick was allowed to emotionally destroy the lives of virtually every woman he met and he killed two in the process. Kim's murder could have been prevented if Flick had been given a life sentence in 1979 after killing his then-ex-wife, Sandra. But he wasn't. Kim's murder could have been prevented if Flick was put away for good in 2010 when he violated the terms of his probation. But he wasn't. And perhaps the third time could have been the charm after the 2014 assault, but it wasn't. Instead, Albert Flick spent a measly two years in prison and was released back into the public one last time in 2016, only to do exactly what his past history projected he would do, murder another innocent woman. Something else most of us were taught growing up was to never judge a book by its cover. In the case of Albert Flick, there's some truth in that saying. We should never judge, meaning we should never judge, perceive, or assume someone is innocent or harmless just because they appear to be. Old age does not necessarily equal harmless. Sadly, this is just another eye-opening homicide case where no one wins another senseless murder that has once again forced us to realize that anyone is capable of committing a horrific act. And when someone chooses to commit the ultimate crime of murder, well, it's clear now that age is quite literally just a number. Kim Doby's close friend, Laura Kirkland, has learned this lesson the hard way as well. He just seemed like
3: because he had aged, you know, um, and we get these different impressions about the older people. And that's what shocked me and, and so many about this. He's 76 when he did it, but uh, he seemed just like a nice, helpful, lonely guy. He never talked about uh, his his life before. I'm guessing for good reason, but I will never look at older people in the same way again because of this ever, ever again.